You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com slash resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com. Hello, everybody. This is CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive. Welcome to another episode of Compliance Conversations. And today's guest is a good friend of mine, uh, both personally and, and professionally, Eric Dominguez. Welcome, Eric. Hi. Thank you, CJ. It's, uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And Eric, I believe, is joining us from, from Texas today. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. I'm, I'm based out of the good old Big D, Dallas, Texas. Awesome. Um, uh, I'm going to let Eric start. We've got some good questions. I, I know Eric in his current uh, role. Um, I'm going to let him introduce his title and, and a little bit about himself, kind of how he ended up in compliance. We all kind of have unique ways. None of us as a kid once grows up and says, I want to be a compliance officer, we think. I want to be an astronaut or a policeman or something cool. Um, so, you know, he'll give us an abbreviated version of, of uh, how he came to compliance. But Eric, please uh, introduce yourself. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, CJ. So, uh, yes, I, I'm um, Eric Dominguez, as CJ mentioned. Uh, I'm the chief compliance officer for Emeris. Uh, Emeris is a, a, a management um, company that um, we, we, we come together with large healthcare systems and create these joint ventures. Uh, and part of the services that we provide to these joint venture facilities and partnerships is a, a, a compliance program. Um, so that's what I, I lead. And, um, you know, I've been doing this for, for seven years uh, and it's been, been a great experience. Wow. Time, I, is, time has flown. I didn't realize it's already been seven years for you in this one role. It, it, it has been, I, I, I can, only think back and, you know, think it's, it's, it was really just, you know, a few weeks ago when you and I were, were meeting in a conference room and you were telling me to, to present something, CJ. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how you got to compliance. Sure. So um, I, I decided uh, um, that I uh, really wanted to go to, uh, to medical school. I, I went to my... Uh, uh, to undergrad at Brigham Young University in, in Provo, Utah. Uh, I pursued the track of uh, pre-med. Um, I was fortunate enough to go through that process and be accepted to Baylor College of Medicine. Um, I also was pursuing a, a, a business degree uh, in conjunction, um, so an MBA in healthcare management. Um, around the, the, the time between medical school and uh, the MBA degree, I, I met CJ and, um, you know, uh, we started talking. I asked him a few questions about what he did and he, he was uh, actually at UT MB Anderson and uh, University of Texas MB Anderson Cancer Center. 
And I, um, you know, was, was very intrigued with uh, the, you know, what he had done and also with the, the, the different areas uh, that he was working in, um, in a compliance department. I had no idea what a compliance department was, but uh, I uh, then was able to, again, get that understanding and uh, I had the opportunity to start working at the, uh, the institutional compliance department at MD Anderson. Uh, and that's really how I got into, into compliance. Uh, and that kind of the rest is, is history. So I've been, been doing this uh, in healthcare for about 19 years uh, on and off in different positions, but uh, in compliance, uh, it's been uh, roughly 10, 11 years. Yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, you sharing that, uh, I think resonates with a lot of us because we all kind of had our own unique paths. It's always kind of interesting to hear. You know, we have some colleagues that come from a legal background, some from a business background, some from a clinical. You know, I kind of share a little bit with you because I uh, went to medical school and, and then um, got into compliance. So I think we kind of share a little bit of those types of uh, ideas. And um, But you've been doing this now for a long time. And so I wanted to ask you, um, and you're in a unique uh, environment with Ameris, I wanted to ask you as, you know, as chief compliance officer for a growing company like that, that, you know, it's growing. I know you're in many states and maybe you can speak to that. But as you, as you're growing in these different states and markets, you know, what are the major compliance challenges that you see today in the environment that you're in? Sure. Um, so, so some of the, the, the compliance challenges are really more around, um, our alignment with the partners. Um, you know, it's, it's a challenge and at the same time, it's, it's really a great opportunity for growth because, um, you know, in the compliance space, obviously there's, you know, we've got the, the elements of, of, of an effective compliance program, um, but it, it's not prescriptive, uh, and you're able to use either different processes or different methods, job aids, tools to be able to, you know, make sure that the company has uh, really a, a, a culture of compliance. And, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's great to have that opportunity with partners, but at the same time, uh, it, it can be a challenge. Why? Because, you know, we all feel like um, our compliance program is, you know, especially when it was built from, from scratch, is our our baby, if you will. Right. You know, we, we 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 made it, we created it, and it's been great. Um, so, you know, why why would we need to change anything? Exactly. But one of the challenges is yeah has been to 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 work with partners where uh, you know partners are are very clear as to you know what this is the way we do it, and this is the way we want to see uh, this being done in these facilities. Until we come and, and share what the program is that we have, the compliance program that we have to um, to use in these facilities, and then you know there's there's certain elements that we take from their program and we add it to our program, and it's it's a it's a great opportunity to grow, but initially uh, it, it's it's a challenge most of the time yeah that's that's one area t- and so tell us a little bit uh, about the kind of facilities you're talking about I don't know if the right term is um, you know micro hospitals or is that the right term but tell us a little bit about the kinds of facilities that you uh, are frequently dealing with 
Sure. So, so the the facilities that uh, we we build are in these joint venture and um, uh, these joint ventures are uh, are small, kind of 30,000 30, to about sixty thousand square feet facilities, and that's both including a first and a second floor. Okay. Uh, and and so these facilities normally have um, an inpatient unit and an, and an outpatient or an emergency department. Um, the emergency department usually has anywhere from six to eight exam rooms and the inpatient side uh, is usually about eight to ten inpatient beds. And so these are smaller, right Right in, in the middle of these facilities. Um, that, so the, the two units are really, they run parallel in the, in the hospital. In the center, we have everything that uh, we use for both the outpatient and the inpatient units. Okay. So we have lab, we have imaging, we have, um, you know, a pharmacy. We have uh, the different requirements that, that, that we need to have there, you know, sure. storage, you name it, the different areas. And they're in the middle for two reasons. We have a door on each side, and so we're able to use the same departments or the same rooms for both units. And so it really is what you, you know, the term you use was micro hospital. Uh, we actually coined that, uh, that term of micro hospitals. Although um, a few years back, we, we decided that it was in our best interest from a business uh, and patient standpoint to use the term neighborhood hospitals as opposed to micro hospitals. Yeah, because you're really uh, situated in neighborhoods as opposed to a lot of us might work and think about, you know, medical centers as these little mini cities within a city where it's, you know, research institutions. But you guys are in the neighborhoods, right? That's exactly right. And so because we're out in the in the neighborhoods where, where people, you know, live and play and sometimes they even work in those areas, Rather than them having to drive, you know, to downtown or to kind of a a, a big box hospital or right. a bigger general hospital, we have services, you know, kind of a, a healthplex, if you will, out in the neighborhoods close to home. So that's one of our biggest, yeah. uh, the biggest reasons we wanted to put this model out there for for people, for consumers. Neat. So I, I may have cut you off when I was asking you about challenges you see today in this environment. Were, were there any others that you wanted to touch on? Yeah. So, so because of, of the, the uniqueness of the model and, you know, having these amount of beds, I mean, usually you think about a hospital, you're not thinking about anything less than 100 to 150 inpatient beds. You know, some go up to 500 or such. And we're only talking about 8 to 10. Okay. Uh, now, what, what we do is, uh, another challenge is because we are a smaller hospital, what we do is we have multiple hospitals. So, we, so really with one partner, we can have anywhere from four to seven of these neighborhood hospitals in the different areas kind of surrounding the city. Okay. Although there is a main provider or a main hospital, these other hospitals are really off-site okay. or satellites of this main hospital. So putting all those together, we're looking at anywhere from 40 to about, you know, 60, 70 inpatient beds. Okay. Um, and so what, what the challenge is, is um, in, in, 20, in September of 
2017, there was clarification from CMS that um, to, to be able to meet the definition of, of a hospital from the Social Security Act, uh, we must be engaged primarily in inpatient care. Okay. And, you know, we've always had both the ED and patients come into our ED and then as needed, we either discharge them, we admit them into our inpatient unit, or we transfer them, okay. uh, depending on the level uh, uh, of the patient's needs. Right. Um, but what the ch- where the challenge came in was first, before September of 2017, we didn't have a lot of clear guidance as to, okay, so what does that really mean? Does it mean that we need to have more inpatient beds than outpatient beds, or, or what does it mean? Right. So for years, we were, we were under that, that challenge. Well, in, 27, in September of 2017, there was clarification. There was clarification, and really it was interpretive guidelines is what they, they gave us. Okay. And what, what that led to was to say, okay, so you must have an average daily census of two patients. You must have an average length of stay of two, and you must have at least two inpatients at the time of any uh, state or federal survey. Oh, okay. So what what that what that ha- what happened there was that you know we we've always been providing inpatient services, but we didn't have an exact number to go off of. Gotcha. So the challenge that, that came to us was, okay, what, what do we need to do to make sure that we're meeting those requirements to be able to keep these neighborhood hospitals open as hospitals and, and maintain our CMS certification number because we are f- fully licensed as a hospital, although they're smaller hospitals. I see. So that was another challenge we had. Yeah, I could see where that would be challenging. Um, yeah, yeah. So let me ask you too then, so you're, you're partnering with a lot of different entities and and maybe give us a sense of the scope. I think you have uh, facilities in Idaho and Nevada and Texas and maybe on the East Coast. But so you're in different like geographic areas of the country and you're partnering with different healthcare entities. Anything from a compliance standpoint that stands out like from certain regions of the country or certain states? Oh, yes. Yes. So... You know, we, we opened up uh, um, most of our, our hospitals here in Texas, in Dallas, Houston, the Austin area, San Antonio, and El Paso. Okay. Um, we, we do have partnerships uh, in Oklahoma, in Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, in Washington, Washington State, okay. um, and Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania as well. Okay. Um, in Colorado and Idaho, we also... Um, had partnerships uh, there, and so what you, you you touched on on one of the other challenges CJ, is that you know when we're you know we were very well versed in everything Texas. Sure. You know we 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 opened up our first little um, you know uh, it, it was like you know our little you know baby little facility that we opened up first for this company was in Tomball, and it was actually a freestanding ED. It wasn't a, a neighborhood hospital. Okay. Uh, it then became a neighborhood hospital as we added the inpatient side, but it was a small one in Houston. Well, it was really in Tomball. Right. And then we, we went to Dallas. Um, we went to San Antonio, then Austin, then El Paso. 
but we knew everything Texas. Right. As we as we went out, the first place that we went out to was uh, Colorado. Okay. And uh, th- th- that came with its own challenges. Um, we we had to basically learn um, a, a a a similar type of regulation, but it has it had its nuances, and then it had some some other areas based on you know geographic location and patient population. There was different needs in that area, okay, uh, and, or in those areas, and so we had to learn and adjust. Um, our policies or procedures to be able to to meet the needs of again population, the geographical area, and yeah. then of course the the, the partner do, and what they were expecting from us. Do, do licensure requirements? I mean, licenses for hospitals are granted by the state, even though you may be you know getting a CMS certification, you know, to be able to 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 submit claims to CMS, uh, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, licenses come from the state, right? And are, are those requirements significantly different from state to state? Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right. The, the license comes from, from the state to be able to open up the actual hospital. Uh, when, when we hit uh, 20, it was 20 for some 20 inpatients. Now, just recently, they changed that to 30 inpatients. Once we hit that 30 inpatients, then we reach out to our accrediting agency. Uh, for us, it's DNV, and okay. we notify them that we're ready for, for them to come out and review based on the NICO standards, which really is, is almost verbatim the conditions of participation, and then they come out for the CCN, which then allows us to have you know a Medicare number, again, the CCN, the, med- the number, right. uh, and be able to get paid for, for that. And then, of course... Um, a, a lot of other things kind of trickle uh, off of that, but back to to the state license. That's the state license is one that we needed to. They, they are somewhat different. Um, the state li- the state regulations in Texas are different than the ones that were in Colorado and Oklahoma sure. and, and other states. Gotcha. And so what we what we do um, as part of my team uh, specifically, I have hospital compliance officers that are over certain markets. And what they do is, them and I, we, we, I have them go line item by line item, making sure that we have policies, procedures, documents, agreements, orientation, sign-in sheets, schedules, you name it, everything line item by line item, and then we meet together the HCO and, and myself okay we meet together we, we review that content and I and I and I have my surveyor hat on we go through everything I'm asking every question in those regs and I'm, I'm reading off the regs and then we meet with leadership okay. with our CEO our CNO and that leadership there and we have sessions in preparation for these surveys and then when when the uh, the surveyors come out, uh, we're we're ready. We've asked all the questions. We have all the documentations in place, or we know where to get them. And uh, you know, uh, I can tell you, you know, it, it's been it's been great to to go through that process. When we open up the first one, those surveys should last one to two days. They normally take um, about five hours. 
Uh-huh. The next, you know, the next hospital, it goes down to four, three, two. And the yeah. last one, it's an hour. They're in and out because it's the same, the same thing, the same right. uh, policies and everything. And we have everything ready for them. Yeah, that's great. I bet they appreciate that as well as they get. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they get to know you oh, probably yeah. and, and they get to know what you've set up. And so they start to trust the system. You mentioned. That's uh, exactly right. Yeah. You mentioned hospital. You have hospital compliance officers over certain markets. And I kind of want to maybe segue a little bit into my next question on that point is because you're hiring compliance professionals. Um, You probably interview a lot. And one thing I'm curious to always ask my colleagues that are um, on the front lines, so to speak, is from a professional standpoint, you know, what are some of the key skills or characteristics, maybe two, three or four, I don't know, whatever number you think is good, on key skills and characteristics that you're looking for when you're hiring a compliance professional, maybe one of these hospital compliance officers or, or a different title? What are those key things sure. in your mind? Sure. Um, let, let, me, let me start, start off by, by saying, CJ, that, you know, in, in, in my department, I have um, attorneys, I have nurses, and I have others that, that have doctor degrees in policy. Uh-huh. Um, Meaning, there's there's really the gamut of, of kind of different professions and, and training that that they have as a background. Right. Um, but the but the areas that I look for um, and that have benefited us in in this role in this organization are really those that have really open and timely communication. Right. And building those relationships at all levels of the organization. Communication is 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 one key skill that um, is very important because here's a compliance professional that has report direct reporting responsibilities to a corporate chief compliance officer, mm-hmm. but they they also have a dotted line to the CEO of that region of that market, right? And they, they work closely with the compliance program of the partner okay. of the health of a healthcare system that um, you know they, they have a very mature program and they've been around for so long and they have a lot of you know they're a stakeholder and they have a huge investment in this in this joint venture right and of course there's reporting to the governing board of that hospital. On a quarterly basis. So, um, again, open and timely communication, building those relationships, verbal and written communication skills are, are, are key. Of course, because of our setup, um, you know, I'm based here in Dallas. There's hospital compliance officers that are, you know, a thousand, 1500 miles away from me. And of course, we've got all this technology nowadays, but I, I, I don't see them every day. I don't come into the office and, you know, walk by their office and say, hey, how you doing, Mike? Or, hey, Bonnie. You right, know, I, right. I, I, I rely on them to be a self-starter, to, to, to be proactive. Um, uh, and, of course, to be open to guidance and, and, and direction when appropriate. But uh, they're running their own, their own programs and, you know, we're meeting on a regular basis. But self-starter and proactive is, is, is big as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. Are, so it, the neighborhood hospitals are on the smaller side. Are these 
compliance officers kind of a compliance office of one dealing with a market or are, are they big enough to have assistance or I mean how does what's the staffing like? So really the hospital compliance officer out in these neighborhood hospitals um, because it's again it could be a 40 to 60 bed uh, hospital in four five six seven different facilities they are the compliance leader in that market okay. and so yes they, they, they don't have someone else who reports directly to them at least not not up to this, this point right right now but we but we do have um, corporate positions that report directly to me you know and that are in the compliance department that provide assistance to them on a regular basis I so see. okay for instance yeah, we have a revenue cycle compliance director. We have uh, a compliance specialist slash analyst. We have a compliance assistant. Gotcha. And and the way we set it up was from a corporate level, those are resources for all the HCOs uh, in the company as we continue to build more and partner with different health systems. Uh, but yes, they are... They are the, the one. They don't have someone, you know, who directly reports to them out in these markets. Yeah, and I think that brings back to the point you made about a uh, skill <clears throat> is building relationships, right? Because they can kind of direct the compliance program, but you really need somebody who can kind of convince the the nurses and the doctors and the pharmacists and whoever that they, these compliance policies or procedures are really something they need to be doing. And so you're you're trying to to build that relationship of trust so that they'll actually do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, building, building that team chemistry in those markets and of course in the department is, is key. Um, and then of course, holding themselves accountable. All those areas are, are very important. As you mentioned that they, they are the, 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 the face of, of compliance uh, in their markets for, for anybody and everyone uh, in that area. The other thing that has benefited us uh, as we have kind of this type of setup in our department is because we do have different backgrounds. We have the clinician, we have the attorney, we have people who have worked in privacy, you know, in billing and coding revenue cycle. Right. We as a team come together and, you know, there's no reason why someone Las Vegas can't reach out to someone in Pennsylvania or El Paso right. and say, hey, uh, what is the best practice? What have you seen in this area? And so what we, we, we're always trying to work together to make sure that, um, that we're getting, you know, we're capitalizing on everybody's expertise to be able to, to, to meet our needs. Yeah, that's awesome. Eric, I wish we had a lot of time to, to talk. We're kind of coming uh, close to our end here. Uh, but I want to see if you have any last minute thoughts, you know, considering who's listening to this, you know, it's our colleagues, right? It's other compliance professionals, probably from a, uh, different types of providers. And, um, but a lot of them are hospital and any last minute thoughts that you have or advice to, to listeners on, uh, either bettering their programs or even these last questions where I've been talking about kind of key skills that compliance professionals need. Sure. Uh, um, what I what I would share, CJ, is um, is that I, I've I've found that uh, a lot of times, for you know, at, at the beginning when somebody thinks compliance, they're thinking 
um, either, you know, here comes, you know, someone who's going to enforce a particular rule. Um, right. Which is, which is true. Um, but, but the reality is that, or should be true, but the reality is that we, I don't see myself as a, as a cop or as a police officer for the organization. I see myself as someone who, uh, can, can positively collaborate and influence others to, to do the right thing, to surface the right, uh, things that need to be addressed. Um, and, you know, obviously to, to bring them up so that we can get them to the right people who can address them. Uh, and of course, on our side, to, to be ready with, you know, to be ready, to be prepared with the, the, the why. Um, yes. And then, of course, have the knowledge to differentiate between a requirement, a recommendation uh, based on best practice or experience to mitigate uh, or, or to eliminate the risk. Um, so a lot of times we, we think of it as these rigid compliance officers or someone who doesn't have a lot of uh, uh, personability or is not a people person. Right. Um, but I, I, so I would, I would, you know, I would just suggest that one of the things that has helped me, although I've had to get out of my comfort zone in many ways in this area, is to really have kind of that, 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 that charisma to be able to build a, 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 a culture of compliance yeah. in the organization. That's so important. You know, I agree with you. I've, I actually had somebody introduce me once as, you know, here's our compliance officer. He's part of the, the internal police. And right after that introduction, I said, I hope none of you think that I am the police because I got, I'm too, I'm too busy. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I'm too busy trying to understand yeah. the rules and just trying to help uh, put them into place. I don't have time. I mean, now, Yes, we in a way we're doing auditing and monitoring because that's an effective part of a compliance program. But I don't think it is think of it always as punitive, though it might come across that way. It, I always think of it like you've said. Look, I'm trying to make a collaboration here and, and keep the organization uh, safe and out of trouble, so you can meet your mission. Because there's nothing worse than yep. having compliance issues that will distract your leadership and your, you know, core operations from what you're really trying to achieve. Right. Um, so Absolutely. that's great advice. Eric, thank you so much for, for joining on us, uh, joining us on this, this episode of compliance conversations. I wish you a, a good day and wish all of the listeners a good day as well. And, and hope that you'll come back for our next, next episode. Thank you. Thank you, CJ. Thanks everyone. Compliance conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.